Econ Nicosia Uncut. We have some questions to the EU ambassadors in Cyprus and the EU institutions on the recent Borel visit in the country. We cannot but return to the issue of how obstacles on crossings affect the organic life developed in the islands since 2003 and have a reality check discussing the intolerance a schoolgirl experienced just because she raised her opinion in the school gazette. Hello everybody, hello. Um, hi, Andromahi. Hello, Kemal. How are you? It's been ages. <laughs> re, re, I miss you. Re, I also miss you, actually, and it's, it's getting insufferable. <laughs> I mean, I miss the times that we could sit down at a cafe and uh, enjoy a, a nice conversation and then tease each other and, and then make fun of the people around us. <laughs> <laughs> just, just do what everyone does, actually. But for some reason, we cannot sort of, yeah. Anyway, maybe we can discuss it later. But this week, let's let's discuss a little bit what happened with Borel's visit. Yes. You wanna you wanna give us a little bit of a yes, background? Let's start with the hardcore politics. <laughs> so basically, the EU High Representative, who is like the he's like the Foreign Affairs Minister of the European Union, basically, uh, Joseph Borel. He wants on a um, series of visits lately. He he went to Greece and he uh, he came to Cyprus last week. The visits basically revolve around the EU Foreign Affairs Council that will take place on uh, on the 13th of July and they will center on uh, European-Turkish relations. The, the visit clearly focused on the um, on the situation in the Eastern Mediterranean, on the Turkish actions in the Eastern Mediterranean and the drillings in the waters of Cyprus. Uh, he It was like a, a big show for our foreign affairs minister, to be honest. I mean, it was this grand visit of, uh, of, of support, let's say, to the rights of, um, of Cyprus and to the sovereign rights of Cyprus in the, its exclusive economic zone, basically. You are a political analyst, so I have two questions <laughs> yes. to you very, yes. very quickly. Number, number one, are we expecting a very strong statement against Turkey? And number two, is it just going to be a statement? Are we expecting some sort of I action. think it depends on who you ask. I mean, uh, clearly the uh, Greek Cypriot media have portrayed the visit as a preparation for a grander reaction against Turkey. Uh, to be honest, I believe that there are too many issues at stake for something grander to be uh, released in the sense that if you have a discussion on European-Turkish affairs, it's not going to be only the Eastern Mediterranean. It will be also the, the relationship regarding France as well. But then you have the other sort of interests that are uh, involved. And to be very clear, in his statements, Borel, he was very clear that the that Europe will seek reconciliation and that Europe will seek dialogue, that Europe will seek cooperation with Turkey. I mean, yesterday, the... Turkish foreign minister, he went to Germany and he met with the German foreign minister. So I believe that all those who expect something sort of an attack against Turkey, they will be in for a big disappointment uh, in the sense that I don't think it's at anyone's interest to, you know, go uh, into direct conflict with Turkey at the moment, regardless of how provocative it might be on certain issues. There are so many issues at stake and you see how uh, countries like Germany and the EU high representative himself, they are pushing for 
dialog they are pushing for this so you answered my second question as well yes <laughs> which is like we cannot expect like a full-blown um, action like concentrated action by the eu at least at this I stage i think well just like it happens very often with uh, our uh, foreign affairs expectations we need to ground ourselves and we need to be pragmatic in how we approach uh, what potential is and what the prospects are regarding uh, these issues so so yes he came regardless of the regardless of the outcome can we expect some sort of a victory right after the day on the press oh, <laughs> actually that is anyway uh, the case i mean the press will pick the statement that they want to pick and they will pro- portray it as a uh, as a success you know what uh, a few weeks ago there was this call by in which the u.s secretary of state participated with the eu foreign ministers and you were reading about right. the call in every single media around the world and they were saying that basically the discussion would center on China, on Russia, maybe a bit on Libya, etc. But that was the focus of the discussion. And then you had the Greek Cypriot media basically presenting it as though the U.S. Secretary of State would participate in the discussion in order to discuss the provocations of Turkey against Cyprus. So <laughs> It's a list of their problems, even if it's a problem. So you know? It is a problem, but sometimes we need to sort of uh, ground what we think, uh, how much we think we matter when it comes to what happens no, in the international of course. sphere. It is a problem. I mean, but in the minds of the people who are discussing, that's what I'm, I'm saying. I'm not sure it's, it's maybe on the top of their, their list, to say the least. But then Borel called Akinji because, you know, in the past, we know that high uh, EU representatives, when they come to the island, they always visit the Turkish Cypriot leader. That's actually the case since uh, Akinji was elected, if I'm not mistaken. So what happened this time? Why didn't they visit Akinji? Why didn't he visit Akinji? I don't know, to be honest, for, for me, it was like a blast from the past because basically, let, let's be clear, the Cyprus problem was absent. There was absolutely mm. no public reference to the Cyprus problem. It was as if our sole problem in the country is uh, the drillings of Turkey in the Cyprus exclusive economic zone. For anyone who is involved, for anyone who has been following developments for, uh, uh, I mean, political developments in this front, it was kind of shocking. And it was more shocking that it was not discussed. I mean, nobody raised the issue that, you know, where is the Cyprus problem? Have we solved it? How can the EU high representative arrive to Cyprus? Cypriots themselves, I, themselves. I mean, it, it was the Republic of Cyprus that chose to present our sole concern to be, uh, you know, I mean, the gas, they took him with a chopper and he saw the drilling of, of, uh, drill ship Yavuz. And there was no public reference to the Cyprus problem. I don't doubt that it was discussed behind closed doors, but how can you not raise it? And then at the same time, how can you not in some way refer to the Turkish Cypriot community? How can you not in some way refer to the only recognized uh, figure uh, internationally from the Turkish Cypriot community, who is the Turkish Cypriot leader, especially when we have the precedent in the past in which EU officials arriving to Cyprus, they sought to either meet with uh, Akinji or, or the uh, Turkish Cypriot leader, and they sought to refer to him and acknowledge him as the leader of the community. Was it a fault? Was it a mistake? Was it an intention? How do you see it? 
I think I'm perplexed, to be honest. I First of all, I can see on the part of the Republic of Cyprus why they wouldn't be sort of eager for the EU to uh, engage with Akinji. At the same time, though, I cannot see how the advisors of, of Borel, I mean, if, if we are to be clear here, I, I cannot see how the European Union would not have shot a meeting. I mean, when it comes to what the European Union represents and when it comes to the fact that the Turkish Cypriot community is a European Union community and is a community that, because of the pending Cyprus problem, you know, I mean, it faces certain issues. I, I cannot answer the question why, to be honest. I want to think that it was a sort of, uh, I don't know, was it neglect? Was it ignorance? Well, we, we know that he called Akinju later, yes. a few days later after his visit. And this brings a couple of questions into my mind. Number one, if you have the need to call him and talk to him only a few days after your visit, why didn't you visit him? And, and not only did he call, but he, he wrote it on his Twitter account that he called. So it's kind of... That's the yes, other thing. It was kind of saying, you know, we made a mistake there. So basically, it's not that he's trying to make it up in a secret way behind the doors, but it, it is obvious that he's making it like a state with a statement that that was a mistake. This is this this is what it means, and um, and we know that uh, from the statement that was released by uh, Akinji's office after that, he commits to visit him next time. And again, I'm asking, if he is committing to visit him next time, why didn't you visit him the first time? It means that it's purely a mistake. And number three, does EU have the luxury to make such a mistake? such a big mistake at this stage. I mean, who are the advisors? Don't they have some kind of a continuity in the system? And we know that Mr. Borel was, was, was apologetic and he committed to, to visit him I mean, next time. We, we know that. We know that. I can just say it, but I, I, I mean, the listeners can also rely on me and the, the information that I gathered that he was apologetic, really apologetic. And he made it very clear. Okay, you can make a mistake, but not when you visit a country and when you are the, the foreign minister of uh, <laughs> the EU. No, you, you're right. And at the same time, you know, I mean, the, this total ne neglect of the Cyprus problem, it, it, it is strange, it is weird, it is upsetting. I, I, in terms of a foreign affairs sort of approach, I, I do not get it, to be honest. I mean, and we are really in a time when oil and gas is collapsing internationally. The Republic of Cyprus took the decision to focus all of its attention on, on gas, basically, rather than tackling the real issues behind the, what Turkey is doing. I mean, we have occupation on the ground. We have, we have a pending Cyprus problem. We have a Turkey Cypriot community that is in dire trouble, that is, that is sort of uh, relying upon Turkey for a number of reasons and that and the EU fails to extend its hand to it. I know that we have listeners from the diplomatic community in Cyprus. I understand, though I don't find it very acceptable, but I understand that there might be problems within the bureaucracy of the European Union. People change, they're, you know, the, the ones who are experienced, are, they are appointed to other jobs. But what about the ambassadors of the EU, the member states? The ambassador of Germany, ambassador of Italy, ambassador of France, 
whom we had the pleasure of, 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 of meeting because uh, before in the past, uh, with different capacities, we are a very sm- it's a very small country. It's not really a, an exception to, to talk, speak to an ambassador. What about all those ambassadors? Where, where, have they, where were they? Did they inform the EU bureaucracy and then they were neglected? That's also the other question. Yes. Why I am so adamant on this is because, not because that Mr. Akinju was not visited and it was a disrespect, but because those countries, the EU has no luxury to make mistake. I mean, on this, I mean, in Cyprus problem, on this island, and and, and this is worrying. Uh, Kemal, I have a question on you on this. Um, you know, I mean, we've got the, the Turkish Cypriot leadership elections coming up, and uh, we know how, you know, all those forces that basically adamantly believe in a two-state solution are, are have become strengthened in the course of, strengthened not politically, but strengthened when it comes to their um, rhetoric uh, in in. in in the way we have handled the COVID-19 pandemic. And uh, I'm wondering, how does, let's say, a visit or an attempt by the EU to reach the Turkish Cypriot community, to be in contact, let's say, with Akinji, reflect on the Turkish Cypriot community from the perspective of, of, of the elections? I mean, we know that the EU cannot and should not engage with people like Tatar or Azersai for reasons that are uh, understood. But how does the Turkish Cypriot community feel when uh, the European Union engages uh, with, with its leader. Is this something that, that will strengthen Akinji or is this something that will weaken Akinji in the race to the elections? No, I think there's a clear understanding that when there is a pro-solution leader like Akinji, there is a, a generally more inclination by the international actors to get in touch and contact with the Turkish Cypriot leaders. I mean, um, th- that has always been the case. That was the case with when Mr. Talat was elected for the first time earlier. And when Mr. Akinji uh, is in power, the, the attitude of the, the European Union um, has changed. The critics of him saying that, you know, so what's the difference? Okay, they visit you, they actually uh, tell you nice words, but there is no difference in action. We are still being in the big, bigger picture. We are being treated the same way we used to be. So. I believe that, yes, it helps Mr. Akinju generally, but I don't think that this was really the priority of the people nowadays, especially. Mm-hmm. After Kram Montana, there has been a big disappointment, and now we are finding ourselves in, in this discussion with the virus. I don't think many people discuss it uh, a lot. I think people understand that Mr. Akinji is, is, is accepted more by the EU, but there is a genuine criticism against the way the EU and, and other actors are handling the, the whole whole situation. So at the end of the day, yes, uh, the answer is yes, but I don't think that it's in, in, a, in a great extent. The first trilingual podcast station of Cyprus, Island Talks, open, diverse, free. I mean, I wish I could discuss these things uh, with you over a coffee, uh, <laughs> face to face. No, we cannot. Because, you know, one thing that people don't understand is, is this organic life that has developed after, after 2000. And they, it's not only that they don't understand, it's, it's also the issue that there is no voice given to those people who, who have engaged in this sort of organic life and who, even under the circumstances that we live in, I mean, with the pending Cyprus problem, who have sort of 
managed to understand the island as a whole and who like just like uh, you know in the same way that one will go to Paphos or will go to uh, I don't know Larnaca or Limassol they want to visit I don't know Morfu the northern part of Nicosia it, it's just it's just impressive, in my opinion, that people can come from Australia at the moment to the Republic of Cyprus without having to do a PCR test. But uh, but someone who wants to just literally visit a friend in the north uh, cannot do it without a test. And not only that, not only visiting friends, there are people who are working on the both parts there are people who have couple that you know who have partners there are people who are married there are people who have um other connections and it's not a small fragment of the community that's 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 not the case but they are giving us this feeling as if it is an embarrassing thing to defend it as if it is something luxurious as if it's something an exceptional thing that we are asking for some sort of an exception and then we are not really understanding the realities on the ground which is not the case the reality on the ground is that you know yes there is virus but we are trying to make our life go back as close to normal without giving up the um, the health but the first thing that they sacrifice is this organic life there, there are no organizations to no hoteliers association to defend those people there are no tourism organizations no you know it's uh, i don't know sometimes i feel like there is this it's just particular groups being represented in the civic discussion. I mean, you, you have, uh, you know, the representatives of restaurants and the representatives of nightclubs. They have space in, on the media coming out and saying, you know, uh, asking for being allowed to have more people in interior um, uh, spaces. They are, you know, calling for some relaxations in some of the measures in order for them to be able to work. And they should have the space to to basically share their, uh, their feelings and share their claims, of course, in the same way that you have uh, hoteliers coming and openly saying that Britain, let's say, should be included in at least category B if we if if we are interested to save the hotel business in the country and these people are given space and they should be given space to express their opinion but when it comes to the crossing points you have this perverted sort of reality with people actually claiming that the crossing points are open which for anyone who who understands the island as a whole and for anyone who will not go to the north uh, you know just for a once-off, and for anyone who, who whose life is shared between both parts of the island until we reach that solution that we all seek for, uh, those people are not represented. Those people are not heard. You have people who clearly do not have any understanding of this organic life to which you refer, uh, speak on the media and claim that the crossing points are open, blah, blah, blah. But there is no voice given to those who do not feel like the crossing points are open because of the obstacles that are raised. And it is so shocking when you have like, you know, I mean, last week there was this discussion in the uh, South. Uh, it, it was a discussion that was raised uh, regarding the random sampling that was taking place in the flights that come from Category A. Uh, so we need to be clear here that in the South, the countries that are uh, listed in category A, they do not have to present any uh, PCR test, which I think is different in the North, isn't it? 
in the north basically anybody coming nowadays from abroad they need to take the test and wait under quarantine uh, waiting under quarantine until their results are are clear okay so yeah it's different than the south so what this uh, what the republic of cyprus is doing is that they basically do random sampling to the to some flights that come from category a countries what those random tests showed is that you know you had an, a few very small number but you have a few cases that were imported from uh, uh, countries in category A. So there was this discussion that was raised about, uh, you know, maybe uh, a PCR test should be required from people who will travel, um, even if they come from category A. And you had these tourism representatives who were coming out and they were saying that, you know, but uh, If you ask for a PCR test, it will put an extra obstacle in someone's decision to visit the Republic of Cyprus. And that I can understand it. But then you have nobody saying that if you ask for a PCR test valid for 72 hours every single time you want to cross, it's like basically you are saying that the crossing points are not open except for those people who belong in those special categories that have been set. There is also um, upheaval in the north when they open the, the crossings from Turkey. First, they put Turkey in, in a category and they said that uh, a PCR test brought in from Turkey will be enough. Then they said, okay, we are changing the category and then we are also requiring anybody coming to Turkey to, to, to northern part of the island to take the test. And now they also squeeze it a little bit more and they say, okay, everybody should wait under quarantine until their test results are, are, are obvious. This is, of course, creating this sense of uh, despair in the sense that one, people do not trust the system, I guess, which is maybe a good thing because uh, it increases um, the possibility of the people who are running the system to make it better. And number two, we don't believe that we have the capacity to handle um, if things go worse. So for me, I think it we need to open eventually. We need to be careful. We need to, let's say, be logical about it. But it makes no sense at all to ask for fresh tests, as we call, 72-hour um, test. Um, every time you cross from north to south, when you are having people coming from different parts of the world And without actually a PCR the, test. The Just the final note on this is the funny thing is that from the 1st of July, Greece has opened its land borders with Turkey. So basically, people can arrive to Greece and people from Greece can go to Turkey and people from Turkey can go to Greece through the land borders without showing any test. And then you have the Republic of Cyprus receiving tourists from Greece who arrive from Greece. Uh, Greece is in category A, so they show no test. But Greek Cypriots who want to go to the north and come back or Turkish Cypriots who want to come to the south, they need to show PCR test valid for 72 hours in order to basically go to their own country. And it's It's incredible if you think about it, especially when um, you just explain what happens when it comes to Turkey, which is much more strict than the situation in Greece, let's say, with people from Turkey. So it's it's shocking and it just reinforces this understanding that uh, we are talking about two different entities and that, uh, you know, it, it reinforces the understanding of partition in our minds. And for anyone who believes in one Cyprus, this is sort of insufferable. 
I think we need some sort of a divine uh, intervention, although I am not a believer at this stage. Talking of which, um, before we uh, closed it, 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 this show, there was this big discussion that I have been following about this student at the school that wrote something about religious uh, classes. You want to like very briefly? Can you explain what's going on? It's yet again another indication of uh, where we live, basically. So you had a student, and uh, she was, I mean, she must be like 16 or 17 years old. She basically wrote this critical article in the newspaper of her school. We are talking about the school's newspaper. Uh, and uh, the girl, I mean, it was a 16-year-old girl, she was referring to the religious instruction classes and she was basically presenting criticism of the classes, of the way the, the, the classes are taught, of the way the lessons are taught. And and she, she even gave suggestions as to how the lesson can change in order to become more inclusive, in order to become, you know, sort of religious education rather than religious instruction. It was a very critical article, but it was done in a lot of respect towards uh, religion. I mean, there was nothing, you know, there was nothing blasphemous, let's say, shocking that we need to use the word blasphemous, but this is where we live. So there was nothing blasphemous when it comes to her references to religion. And the fuss that was created basically was created from the teachers themselves who were commenting on, on Facebook and on the article and they were uh, saying disgrace. They were saying that it was shameful. A teacher even said that she or he rejected that, um, uh, she gave, um, uh, the, the top mark at some point to this uh, girl because, uh, sh- she should have known better, which is a shocking statement from a teacher to make. And this huge fuss was created. Funny thing is that the Association of Theology Teachers, they, they wrote a letter to the Ministry of Education, and then the Association of Theology Professors in the University of Nicosia, which is a private university, it also came out <laughs> attacking the girl for uh, what she had written. And the, and just to top it all, uh, uh, the Minister of Education, after he was asked for two days in a row to give his comment on the issue and he refused, he said, I haven't read the article, blah, blah. And then he came out and he made the statement in which he said that everybody looks for an opportunity to attack the church and the Greek character of Cyprus and that uh, everybody has something to complain against the Ministry of Education and that this is like we live in the Middle Ages. So Every time I think that we are leading the race in, in, in the race of stupidity on this island, you, your guys are doing something trying to um, narrow down the, 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 the lead. But I think um, if we talk about all the stupidity that we have been doing in our community, it will go another hour, 10 hours. It's, so, it's oh, a Cypriot oh, oh. thing. Let's not separate us into communities on this. I think we share it. But it's, it's jokes aside, it is sort of shocking to realize what we are discussing in 2020 at a time when we discuss about critical thinking and everyone says, oh, we need critical thinking. And it's shocking, honestly, to realize that we have not yet understood that unless there is this conflict of ideas and the, unless there is criticism, unless there is deconstruction of everything we know, societies cannot advance. And looking at this sort of huge reaction against a girl who wrote a critical article and instead of being praised, she was, she received these attacks. 
I don't know, it just makes you understand where you live. She, she should be praised by, by the religious uh, circles as well. Yes. I mean, it's, it's, good, it's good to bring the discussion, bring these kind of things into discussion and then show some kind of civility. Ideally, these issues should be a non-discussion. We shouldn't be discussing this for a week on the media. Had we advanced as a society, this could have been an issue of discussion in the school. It could have raised a discussion, you know, amongst her peers at school. But the fact that the media had to focus on this, the fact that the commissioner of uh, for the protection of the rights of the children had to intervene, which was the most positive of, of of things that happened in the course of the week because the, the commissioner intervened. She was clear that we need to allow for opposing views to surface if we want to have a proper civic discussion. She embraced critical thinking and she said that we need, as as a democratic society, we need to set aside, we need to set aside extremist views. That was the only positive thing that happened in, in the course of this week. And I just want to say something on this. I just want to say that this is not a matter of challenging identities. This is not a matter of trying to intervene on anyone's beliefs or anyone's religion or anyone's understanding of the world. This is a matter of being ready to engage in a critical discussion and in a discussion that really criticizes what we understand as a society in full respect towards each other. So much uh, with us trying to keep our program short and crispy. And, <laughs> <laughs> Okay, it was half an hour today, fair enough, but you know we can talk for hours on these issues, so... But joking aside, I think, I mean, there are so many things that need to be discussed on, on this on, on an open footing, on a critical way, and um, this is what we are trying to do. And we wish it was everywhere, we wish it was discussed everywhere, and that we didn't have to speak, basically, because the only reason why we do this is because we feel that... Different view is not being heard, and it had to be heard at some point. Come on, Revi, we are talking about Andromahi and Kemal. We have to speak on everything. And anything. I will let you in your scorching heat in the north and in my scorching heat in the south. <laughs> it's very interesting that weather conditions come to the green line and then change automatically. Yes, weather conditions and, uh, yes. and viruses, they stop on the green line and they change character. And also logic, my friend, logic. Yes. Logic is absent uh, where island-wide. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much for listening. Thank you.